Welcome to our Rock City Church podcast. We are so excited to have you join us. Our desire is that you would listen with expectancy for what God wants to do in your life. We pray that you would encounter the mighty love of the Father and that you would be fired up for the more that He has for you. Wow. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. You're the God of generations. You're the God of generations. You know, I cannot get out of my head how God would tell His people, do not forget to tell your children and your children's children and your children's children what I have done. They need to know that I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Because we're in the, when they're in a world that doesn't see God acting and moving, they need to remember who I am and that I'm alive and I'm still moving. You know, as I was praying about this conference, Activate to Advance, I was like, Lord, what do you want to do with Activate to Advance? And I believe that God has already been preparing and conditioning our spirits for an advancement in the kingdom. Things are about to shift. And this is a scripture that he brought me to in Romans 8, 19. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. But to be revealed, you have to know that that's you. To be revealed, you've got to know if, if, if somebody's calling out your name and you don't know that's your name, you're not going to be called up to move, right? So you've got to know who you are as a child of God because he's about to reveal you, but you've got to step into your identity, right? Creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. In hope that the creation itself would be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. That is what God is doing in his people right now. He's preparing you to be revealed and set free from the bondage so that you can come into his glory as the children that he's created you to be. How many of you want that right now? He's doing it in us this week. I keep hearing the word several times this week, we've got to be deactivated in order to activate. And I keep, I mean, I was going to bed last night and I was hearing that deactivate to activate. And I was thinking about, we know that there is a process, right? Jesus demonstrated it with his life. There has to be a sacrifice, right? The death, burial, so that there can be a resurrection. You can't resurrect something that hasn't died yet. And we're crying out for God to bring a revival and an awakening or a resurrection of the spirit of God in the church. But the church still hasn't died to itself yet. Amen. All too often, we get so deep into our little circumstances in our own little world that we can't see in the spirit what God is trying to work on the inside of us. But the thing is, he's so gracious he will use anything and everything to produce growth in us. You may think you're in the middle of a crisis, but God's like, well, you wouldn't listen. You wouldn't obey. You wouldn't read your word. You wouldn't submit yourself. So I had to allow a crisis to bring you to a place where you could die to yourself so I could produce some growth in you. Anybody in that crisis? Yeah. So 
we go through those seasons and we find ourselves frustrated, maybe even angry at God. We find ourselves confused, feeling stagnant, asking God the questions, why in the world am I still here? I don't think I'm the only one that's ever asked that question. Anybody else in this room ever asked, why in the world am I still here, God? But you see, the frustration can lead you to a place of revelation. Say that with me. Say, frustration Frustration. can lead to revelation. And God's about to give you some revelation tonight about your place of frustration. I'm going to share with you, I had a, a personal place of frustration in my life several years ago. And I was just in this kind of self-examination, looking over my life and thinking, okay, you know, God said to do this and I've done this. And God spoke to me about my future and I've applied myself, I have studied, I've submitted myself, I've grown in many ways, but I just feel stagnant right now. I just feel frustrated with where I'm at. Like I'm in my 30s, I should be already doing in my mind, I should be already doing what God showed me I was going to do with my life. Like, come on, the clock is ticking, Lord. Why am I not there yet? And so I was having this conversation between me and God. And I felt like, you know what? Maybe I should talk to a prophet and he could help me see some things and get it in perspective. So who did I call, right? I, I called my dad. And so I knew I have my strong relationship with Jesus. I know my identity, right? But in that place, I wasn't operating in a place of ministry within the church at that time. Now, for me personally, I know I'm called to ministry. That's all I could ever see myself doing. So when I wasn't operating in that calling, I found myself frustrated. Why am I not doing what I know I'm called to do? I was at work, at home with my kids. I worked for my dad's ministry, still do raising my kids, they were pretty young at the time, and I just felt unseen. I felt unknown. I felt like I, I, I have a church that I've been a part of. I'm a daughter there. I've served there many years, but I, I found myself in a place where I felt like no one really knows who I am. And that brought me to question, okay, God, well, are you, are you taking me? Are you redefining me? Who am I now? Is this, you know that, that free fall spot when you've left one destination and you're not quite at the next and you just feel like you're tumbling? <laughs> That's where I was. So the thing is that the prophetic reveals the truth. And in, when we're in that place in life, we need a personal truth, a revelation from God to transform us for that next season. Are you hearing me? So for me, my home, my family, my husband, my kids, the people that were around my life, my neighbors, people I served in the, in the worship ministry at church, they were a part of my ministry. They were my training ground, my preparation, if you will. Those experiences that I had with them all were breeding the revelation and the understanding and the insight for the messages that I needed to bring deliverance to others. But the problem was, I couldn't see that. I couldn't see that in the middle of my little mom life with my three kids, God was developing something on the inside of me. 
that each time I came into something with my children and there needed to be a teaching moment or opportunity, that God was revealing something to me that one day I would be speaking to others. Now, I know some of you are in that place, right? How many stay-at-home moms do we have in the room? God bless you. God bless you. I know, I know what it feels like to be in that place. But God is using you in that season where you are right now. Don't overlook it. Don't overlook it. And you are seen. God knows where you're at and you are developing the next generation of leaders. Amen? So how many of you here know that you have a calling of God on your life? He's already spoken to you about your purpose and you already know that's where you're headed. All right. I saw a ton of you answer the call for a pastoral anointing. So I know many of you have that. But what you need to realize is that God is developing that in you through every season, no matter what your role is. No matter what your role is, caretaker, mother, nursery worker, secretary, wherever you are, God is operating and developing you. All right. Colossians 3, 16 and 17 says this, let the word of Christ live in you richly flooding you with all wisdom. Apply the scriptures as you teach and instruct one another with the Psalms and with festive praises, with prophetic songs given to you spontaneously by the Spirit. So sing to God with all your hearts. Now here's what he says, verse 17. Let every activity of your lives and every word that comes from your mouth be drenched with the beauty of the Lord Jesus, the anointed one. Every activity. Now that tells me, it confirms, no matter where we're at in life, we are anointed. And we're to carry his presence and his beauty. We're, we're anointed to teach and demonstrate that no matter what we are doing in our lives at the time. Bring constant praise to God the Father because that is what Christ has done for you. And whatever work you do, do it with all your heart. We can't be half-hearted in it. Do it for the Lord and not for men. And remember that you will get your reward from the Lord. This is important, guys. Do it for him and not for men remembering that your reward will only come from him. Because if you're looking for it to come from man, if you're looking for it to come from your job, if you're looking for it to come from your pastor, you're not gonna get it. You're looking in the wrong places. He will give you what you should receive. And you are working for the Lord Jesus Christ. Now see, my problem in that season in my life was that I couldn't see my growth in that season. All I saw was my little circumstance. I couldn't see those moments where God was giving me revelation to teach my children about the gospel and how to live it out. I couldn't see that. The conversations that I would have with friends or people in ministry through just doing daily life where God would come in and bring wisdom and reveal things. I could not see it in that time. Now here's the problem. I still cared too much about what others said and what others thought about me. Now, maybe you guys are more mature than that. 
Maybe you can go through life and you'll be obedient to God and you'll be bold and brave and not care what anybody else thinks about you. But that's not where I was. In my mind, surely, because they don't see me doing what I know I'm supposed to do, maybe, surely they're criticizing me. Surely they're all wondering, what is she even doing with her life? Anybody else ever felt like that? It was the enemy lying to me. He was captivating my thoughts. It was a religious, legalistic spirit that was telling me that my value had to be based on the works that I could do in front of others in the house. Listen, if you feel that you are not valuable because you're not visibly working in front of others for the kingdom, it's a religious, demonic, legalistic lie from the enemy. And God is here to break that lie in your minds today. All right? That legalistic spirit cannot stay attached to you anymore. It's got to die. Our value is not based on what we can do for others or what we can do before others. It's what we know what we are, who we know that we are as sons and daughters. Amen? John 12, 42 says, Yet there were many Jewish leaders who believed in Jesus, but because they feared the Pharisees, they kept it secret. So they wouldn't be ostracized by the assembly of the Jews. For they loved the glory that man could give them rather than the glory that came from God. They weren't talking about condemnation that came from people outside. They were talking about, they feared the Pharisees, the other Jews, the other people in their circle. So they believed, but they kept it secret. Hmm. They loved the glory that men could give them rather than the glory that came from God. God's doing a heart check in the room tonight. Whose glory are you looking for? Whose approval are you looking for? Listen, the truth is that others are going to judge and criticize you no matter what. They're going to do it. There's something that God spoke to me and he said, listen, there will always be a Pharisee in the room. You know the story of Jesus with the, the man with the crippled hand? It's on the Sabbath day and he goes into the temple and the Pharisees are all around, they're watching, right? Jesus is with his disciples and he goes into the temple. He was on a mission. So he walks up to the man with the withered hand and the, the scripture doesn't say that he asked him, do you wanna be healed? He walks up to him, he looks him in the eyes and he says, stretch out your hand. Now the man had a decision to make in the moment. I'm sure that he scanned the room and thought, there's a lot of Pharisees in the room, Jesus. I mean, like, I know who you are. I've heard you're the Messiah. I've heard you've done these miracles and yeah, I wanna be healed, but there's a lot of Pharisees in the room. I'm sure he could feel the repercussions that were gonna come against him if he responded to Jesus. Like, is this a trap? Anybody ever felt like that? If you step out, that there could be a trap set before you, but guess who's there in the midst of it? And here's what I felt like God, Jesus said to him, if you'll just lock eyes with me, 
Who cares about the Pharisees in the room? Who cares? Who cares? They don't know your story. They don't get to share in your victory. Forget about the Pharisees in the room. Lock eyes with Jesus and stretch out your faith. Turn to somebody today, today and say, stretch out your faith. It took his obedience and God healed him right there in front of all the Pharisees. <laughs> in front of all the hypocrites, Jesus showed up and moved on his behalf. But all it took was him not caring what anybody else was going to think. He just locked eyes with Jesus and he obeyed. Wow. I want to be like that man. You got to lock your eyes on Jesus. But then what you've also got to do is forgive the Pharisees. Because sooner or later, if you don't, those Pharisees are going to become your excuse for not stretching out your hand anymore. Am I right? We had a conversation last night. If you don't forgive the Pharisees, they will be the reason why you excuse yourself from being who you're called to be in Christ. And let me just define, the Pharisees were those who were the legalistic religious people who thought they knew everything, but they operated only by the law and not the spirit. So anyone who's judging you, criticizing you outside of the spirit of God, that's a Pharisee spirit. You do not let them speak over you. You don't let them bind you. Ephesians 4.31 says this, get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, outcry and slander, along with every form of malice. So first he's dealing with our mouth and our heart. Get rid of it. Get rid of it. And then secondly, be kind and tenderhearted to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ forgave you. Why? Because he also said in Matthew 6, 15, if you don't forgive others of their sins, Christ cannot forgive you. His forgiveness is withheld from you if you cannot release forgiveness to others. Even the people that hurt you, criticize you, judge you. Come on, somebody. It's not worth it. It's not worth it to hold it against them. You cannot hold them accountable for you not stepping into who God called you to be. You have to release them. Only you are responsible for stepping into the calling that God has for you. It's your obedience to him. It's not worth it. Those people are bound and they need to be set free from Jesus, but you holding it against them is not gonna help you. So I had to ask myself in that season, why do I still care? Okay, I know it's within my personality. I mean, if you know the personalities, I'm an I personality. I'm, you know, like I, I, liked, I like people. I wanna be loved by people. I wanna be accepted. I don't like conflict. So it's within me to try and please others, right? It's within my nature to care about what others think. But that's the problem, is that my nature, my flesh needed to die in that area. I still wasn't trusting my daddy God with everything. See, if we care so much about what everybody else thinks, that means we're putting our trust in their response to us rather than our trust in who God says that we are. We cannot be who God wants us to be and care so much about what everybody else thinks. 
Colossians 3, 2 through 5 says this, Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Now, when Christ, who is your life, He should be our life, when He appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. But here's what you have to do. Verse five says, put to, what? Say it again. Put to death. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is also a form of idolatry. Just to name a few, he says, just to name a few. Put those things to death. There's no room for that. In what area does your flesh still need to die, guys? I know in that day, God showed me some areas to start with. We got a lot of flesh, people. Look at somebody and say, where does your flesh need to die? Because we've all got some space. We've all got some space. Come on. Now, if you're not sure your flesh still needs to die, let me give you a little indicator here. Dead people don't feel pain. Dead people just don't feel anymore. So if, if you are in a situation and you are feeling uncomfortable, you're feeling irritated, you get jealous. Somebody else took your spot. Somebody else got your prophecy. Uh-oh. If you're still feeling pain when you encounter that person that offended you, if you're still feeling that when you encounter that issue from your past that you thought you let go of, guess what? You're not dead there yet. Tell somebody dead people don't feel pain. Mm. So I had this conversation with my dad in the middle of Village Inn restaurant. You remember dad? And, and I was sharing with him all these things and my frustration and dad, why? Does God show you anything? Am I missing something? And he said, well, you just, you know, you just still care too much. The seeking part. Oh, well, yes, that too. My dream before I really realized who God called me to be, my dream was to become a singer. I wanted to be like on Broadway and perform. And I loved the stage when I was in high school, okay? So I, I loved to sing. And I thought, well, that'll be a part of my thing. Maybe I'll become a, you know, a worship leader and sing and do all this. And in that conversation at the table, my dad said to me, well, you, you got some dreams you also need to give up. I'm like, why? What? He was like, well, I mean, you sing, but you're not that great. You're not a soloist. And I was like, okay, well, dad, <laughs> spoken. And, and, and that was, I think, the moment where the conversation shifted from daddy-daughter to like prophet interviewer. <laughs> he spoke it as a prophet. You're not a soloist. Give it up. And so <laughs> I had to let some things die in me, right? But through that conversation, he says to me at the end of the conversation, so ask God what he's saying about you. And I said, okay. So we sat there for a few minutes, finishing our food. And he finally says to me, well, what did God say to you? And I, I gulped because it was heavy. This is what God said to me. <laughs> you don't smell like death yet. 
I don't smell like death yet. So when I told my dad, so what God said, I don't smell like death yet. And he was like, oh, that's hard. <laughs> and I was like, what does that mean, Lord? Don't smell like death. I mean, look at somebody next to you and say, you don't smell like death yet. That doesn't feel good, does it? <laughs> and many of you might be wondering, well, I mean, what does that mean? What does death smell like? I mean, as far as we know, it's not a pleasant smell. It's not something we desire to smell like. You know the story of Lazarus, right? Dead for three days and Jesus comes, he tells them, move the stone away. And they're like, Lord, he's been in there three days. Like there's some stank in there. I don't know if you, <laughs> I don't think you wanna move that stone. And God, Jesus is like, forget it. I don't mind the stink. Come on, I'm gonna do a work. So immediately when God spoke those words to me, it brought me back to a prophetic word that I had received years ago. And a prophet called me up and he spoke about the mantle of ministry that was on my life. And he said, I see you just walking by people and they're gonna be like, what was that smell? What was, I smelled something that I've never smelled before. Some fragrance. And it's gonna be a fragrance, cherish, that you're gonna carry from the relationship with God and your time with Him that He's gonna put on the inside of you, but it's gonna attract people to that anointing He's placed on you. And for years, I've asked God about that. What, what really is that, Lord? What is that fragrance you said I'm gonna carry? I mean, to me, that was intriguing. How does that work? I believe that that fragrance would come from my seeking God, my spending time in relationship, my surrendering my life and everything to pursue Him with everything that I had. So I wondered, God, what would this fragrance cost me? Because I know the story of the alabaster box and her breaking the box and pouring out her fragrance over Jesus' feet. And the Bible emphasizes how costly that fragrance was. We know that things that make fragrances aren't cheap. You ever bought a, a new bottle of like expensive perfume, like the latest Armani, Paco Rabone? You're gonna spend a good, what, $180 on a midsize? It's not cheap. It's gonna cost you something. So it brought me to um, this revelation that I had years ago. We had a dance ministry in our church and we had um, worship and prayer on Monday night before dance ministry. So we're there, the presence of God is thick in the room. I'm waving the flag, praying in the spirit. And I had my eyes closed and God said, open your eyes. And when I opened my eyes, I saw the stage of our church. And I saw one by one worshipers coming up, singers that were sing giving their best song to God. And they're just bowing at the altar, worshiping him. And I'm watching and they walk away from the altar, nothing happens. I saw the dancers coming up before God and they're dancing out the most beautiful dance they could offer and nothing happened. Preachers coming up, giving their best sermons. Everyone was coming to the altar to lay down their best gift and there was no response from heaven. And I thought, Lord, why aren't you responding? Because I understand that when we worship God, He wants to respond to our worship, right? It pulls on His heart to speak into us in that moment. 
But when I was watching, nothing was happening. And the Lord spoke to me and he said, you see, the problem is they're bringing their gifts. But I never asked for your gifts. I asked for their lives. He said, Cherish, you can give me your gifts all you want. You can get out there and show your gift to the world. But until you lay down your life on the altar, I cannot consume it with my glory. I cannot respond with my glory because you have not laid down your life. You've only laid down your gift. Come on, if you've been serving just because you have a gift, you haven't laid down your life yet. Romans 12.1 says, Brothers and sisters, I urge you by the mercies of God to present your bodies dedicating all of yourselves set apart as a living sacrifice, holy and well-pleasing to God, which is your reasonable act of worship. That is what he's requiring of us. So he said to me, when you lay down a living sacrifice on the altar, then I can consume it with my holy fire. And then when I saw his fire come down, the altar transformed and it was a platform, a huge platform. And his glory shot down on that platform like the brightest light I'd ever seen. And it spread out and it went out to the church and throughout the world. And I was like, wow, God. He said, see, when people lay down their lives, I can demonstrate my glory through them. You know that scripture when he says, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. He said, that's how I'm going to do it. But I need people who have laid their lives down so that I can put my glory in them. He can't put his glory in where your flesh is still existing. Mm. He cannot fill his glory where your flesh is still existing. You've got to die. Come on, look at somebody and say, you don't smell like death yet. Mm. So how many of you want your life to become that platform for his glory? So you know what it requires of you, right? You have to become the sacrifice. Don't give the sacrifice. Become the sacrifice. Say that, say, I will become the sacrifice. Jesus, Jesus. Mm. We don't smell like death yet, church. In the book of Le Leviticus, he writes about the altar of sacrifice. Acceptable sacrifices were placed on the altar of burnt offering and they were received by the Lord, consumed by a fire that came only from the glory of God. And it was no ordinary fire, it was a sacred, holy fire from God himself. That same fire that came to consume it was then used to burn the incense that was taken into the tabernacle to the altar of incense. And at that altar in, of incense, it produced a smoke and that smoke would rise to heaven. And if God approved, he would receive that fragrance as a pleasing offering. Are you with me, guys? That cloud of smoke would reach the mercy seat. 
and then God would respond. Now, holy fire is what God wants to bring down on our sacrifice, but the word holy means what? It means dedicated or consecrated to God with a sacred purpose. Now, why is this important? Listen, God works in patterns and processes. That's why he created seasons. That's why there's patterns and times for growth, for harvest. Sometimes things have to die so that they can be replanted, live again, right? For growth to happen. Death, then new life. The process and the model of the Old Testament sacrificial sacrificial worship was a prototype for the things to come. All right? Leviticus 9, I'm gonna start at verse 23. Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting and when they came out, they blessed the people and then the Lord's glory appeared to all the people there. And fire came out from the Lord's presence and consumed the burnt offering and the pieces of fat that were on the altar. And when all the people saw this, they shouted and they bowed with their faces, touching the ground. Leviticus 16, 11, Aaron said, you shall bring the bull for his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and his, his household. And he is to slaughter the bull for his own sin offering. He is to take the censer, or the incense full of burning coals from the altar before the Lord and the two handfuls of finely ground fragrant incense and take them behind the curtain, behind the curtain. Mm. Sometimes he requires us to bring our sacrifice behind the curtain. It doesn't have to be seen by anybody else. He is to put the incense on the fire before the Lord and smoke of the incense would conceal the atonement cover above the tablets of the covenant law so that he will not die. Wow. So the smoke from the incense of the pleasing offering that he would, would, would give to God was what kept him from dying. You're gonna stand, understand this a little bit more in just a second. That smoke of the incense burning with a sacred fire from the Lord, it preserved the life of the priest while he was in the tabernacle. And this was no small trivial matter as we will see. I'm gonna go to Leviticus 10, verse one. Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, the priest, they took their respective ceremonial censers. They put the fire in them and they placed the incense on it and offered a strange and unacceptable an unauthorized fire. Get this. They took their censers and offered a strange, unacceptable, unauthorized fire to God. Which he had not commanded them to do. And fire came out from the presence of the Lord. And what happened next? It devoured them. It devoured them and they died instantly before the Lord. This is heavy, guys. They created their own fire. A fire that didn't cost them something. And when they tried to give it to the Lord their incense, the smoke that came from their incense couldn't protect them 
It couldn't conceal them. It did not reach the mercy seat. And so the wrath of God came upon them. If we don't produce that fragrance, that pleasing offering, that living sacrifice before God, we cannot appeal to the mercy seat. Jesus. The fire came out of the presence of the Lord and devoured them. Now they disregarded the solemn and exact instructions that they had been given. They filled their censers with that strange fire, not the holy fire that came from the altar of the burnt offering. They entered the tabernacle with that profane fire, a common fire, the scripture even calls it. Common. See, God doesn't want our common. He wants our all. He wants our best. This was such a serious violation to God that they weren't even allowed to be mourned by their families. God told them, he told Aaron, don't even put on the sackcloth. Don't do the ceremonial things. Do not mourn them. They disobeyed me. They were trying to give what I did not command. They could not produce a pleasing fragrance because it was void of sacrifice. They could not produce a pleasing sacrifice, offering fragrance to the Lord because it was void of sacrifice. Now today I wanna ask you what I heard the Spirit of God ask me. What kind of fragrance is coming from your altar? Have you given him just your gifts or just your works? Have you shown up and served in the church and stamped your little church time card? Checked off your religious checklist? Or have you really laid down your life to say, God, whatever it costs me, I just want your glory to cover me. I just want them to see you when they look at me. What fragrance is coming from your altar? Come on, God's asking you that today. Look at somebody say, do you smell like death yet? Leviticus 10.3 says, I will display my holiness through those who come near to me. I will display my glory before all people. Verse eight through 11, it says, the Lord spoke to Aaron and he said to them, do not drink wine or intoxicating drink, neither your sons with you when they come into the tent of meeting so that you will not die. Now he's giving specific instructions about how not to come in to the presence of God. Because if you do, you can die. Do these things, follow my instructions. When you approach me, come near to me so that you will not die. Now, in that time, I said it was a prototype, right? We're talking about spiritual things now, not the natural. If we do not follow what God's asking us to do and lay down our lives, all of it, then our spirit dies. He said, it is a permanent statute throughout your generations and to make a distinction and recognize a difference between the holy, sacred, and the common profane and between the ceremonial unclean and the clean. And you are to teach the Israelites all the statutes which the Lord has spoken to them through Moses. 
Now you see, when Aaron's sons came in to give their offering, they were drunk. Their reasoning was impaired. And all they could see was, well, was there no reason to bother with getting the coals from the sacred fire of the altar of the burnt offering? Why do we really have to slaughter an animal in order to make our sacrifice before God and give him our offering? They couldn't see it because they had been impaired because of their sin. They couldn't see that there was a cost required because they had allowed sin to enter in. And they tried to come into the presence of God and do the things that God required them in their sin. Hmm. They did not discern the difference between holy and unholy and between clean and unclean. Now listen, I've talked to a lot of church people and the sad thing is there's so much compromise. So much compromise. There's too much gray area. Well, you know, it's not so bad, you know. Somebody says they're gay, you know, it's not, maybe, maybe it's just something they're going through. No, come on guys, that's unholy. God didn't create us to be that way. We gotta deal with the sin, deal with the root. But when we're living in our own sin, we can't see the difference between what God calls holy and unholy. And so we keep trying to offer our sacrifice and God says, not pleased, not pleased. I told you what I already call holy and unholy and you're coming before me trying to call it what I didn't. Common unholy fire probably looked no different to them by appearance. And surely it would burn the incense in their tenders just like the other fire would. Who cares, right? They probably thought in their drunkenness that it wouldn't matter to God which fire they used. God wasn't that picky about the details, was he? So they offered to God what was common. It was easy to give. It didn't cost them a sacrifice instead of what was holy and what was required by God. And guess what? It wound up costing them everything. What you withhold from God will wind up costing you everything until you learn to give it all up. The trust that you withhold from God can wind up costing you everything until you surrender and give it all up. Do you hear me? The offense and unforgiveness that you withhold will wind up costing you everything. So you see, your gifts and talents are just common. They're common. They're not holy. They're not pleasing sacrifice and offering to God. There's something he gave to you that you should give back, but that's not what he requires of you. He asks for our lives. And by our lives, I mean, he asks for our nature our tendencies, our nature, our flesh, our desires, our dreams, our past, our issues, our relationships, all of it. Lay it all down on the altar and leave it there. Leave it there. Come on. He asked for our lives so that he can consume us with his holy fire. And that fire becomes the pleasing sacrifice. Now to live that life is that pleasing fragrance to him. 
That's when I understood that prophecy that had been spoken to me years ago. That he said, when you walk past people, they're gonna smell something. When you prophesied over me, Mr. Kevin, and you said I was stepping into that next season, I smelt the fragrance. I choose to lay my life down. If I'm going to come before anybody and speak the word of God, there's nothing in me that you need to receive. It's just him. It's just him. It's got to be his holy fire that speaks. It's got to be his glory that you see. Because if you get anything from me, it brings death. If you're given just your gift without your sacrifice, you're bringing death to those around you. Don't come and serve in this house and not put your life on the altar and not live with all your whole heart to serve God because you're bringing death to this house. You're not producing life. Don't do it just to do it. Serving in God's house is a serious thing. And when you fully lay your life down to serve, you're going to make an impact on everyone around you. But let it be to bring his glory in and not death. Come on. Jesus. Jesus, let your holy fire come into this room and reveal where flesh is still alive. God, we want to be a pleasing fragrance to you. Guys, I know it's not easy. It's against our sinful nature, right? It's against everything within us to want what somebody else wants and not what we want, right? To give up our dreams, to accept the fact that I wasn't gonna be a Broadway singer (laughs) and to believe that God's gonna be with us today. Okay, yes. Okay, sounds good. I'm almost done. I'm almost done. (laughs) But here's the thing. We've got to walk That means like every step, every day, every morning, when we get up, Holy Spirit, I surrender to you. Yes, you have a job. You have things you have to do every day. It's a given. But if we start just living on autopilot and we don't talk to the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, it's not about my agenda. I give it to you. What do you want me to do today? Who do you want me to talk to today? Guys, I'm talking to myself. I'm the worst at going into Walmart or whatever and I'm on a mission, like I'm driven, I'm narrow-minded, I'm, I'm about my business and God's like, hey, hello, got somebody I need you to talk to. In every area of our life, we've gotta be willing to lay it down. Surrender it, guys, surrender it. Look at somebody and say, you don't smell like death yet. We have to choose to walk in forgiveness. And guess what? You forgive today and tomorrow you're going to have to forgive again. It's repeatedly, repeatedly, repeatedly. I forgive you again. I forgive you again. It doesn't stop. Walk in forgiveness. Trust God completely. Believe that what he says about you is true. Because when we believe what he says, the lies of the enemy no longer have power, right? And we're free to give God everything because Satan doesn't hold any of us captive anymore. 
Like how can we give God everything of us when Satan still got part of us held back in our past? Oh God, I give you my all, but I still have soul ties in that old relationship I didn't cut off. God, I lay down my life, but I still want to hold on to this old dream that I know you told me to let go. You can't give him your all when you've left part of you connected to something else. Let it go. Let it go. The spirit of God is here tonight to cut off some old things. He's here to circumcise some hearts. Jesus. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this message, please subscribe and share it with your friends. And if you want to partner with us in what God is doing here at Rock City, you can give by visiting our website at rockcitycorpus.com slash give.